Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about your 2020-2021 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I give out letter grades for each of the guys on the roster. I think you can guess who fared pretty well, but I'll be curious to see if you agree with our evaluations of some of the fill-in guys on this team. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the team. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, I'm doing pretty good, my friend. Watch some playoff and what do we call this? Pre-playoff? Play-in? Playoff? Play-in? Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm doing good, though, watching some good basketball. It's been fun. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, also been watching some good basketball. I tweeted earlier today, like, the the good basketball has reminded me just how far our Pistons have to go in order to be playing some good basketball. But, uh, but yeah, it's the, it's the beginning of the play-in and the playoffs and the end of the regular season, and we uh, don't have to watch our Pistons anymore. But that, uh, that means it's time to review the season, though. Let's do it. Uh, normally, we go point guards first, and normally we give out... Um, this is a, a redo of the podcast we did at the halfway mark. We're going to do letter grades. Um, we're grading on a curve again because this was a 20 and 52 season by design, and that's not very nice. Um, but and normally we go point guards first, but we're going to flip it around because it's boring going through the point guards first. Let's do centers. Let's do centers first, Ben. <laughs> so first up, we have Mason Plumley. What grade would you give Mason Plumley for his season this year, Ben? So, you know what, Mason Plumley, I think to me, was a very solid, very reliable player. Um, he gets a B from me on the season, or B plus, sorry, I had given him a B plus. Um, you know, it, it got a little weird toward the end of the season. I think he got used a little bit outside of his role and stretched into some uncomfortable offensive expectations. But look, I think by the numbers, he was just a productive center. He, he scored at a low usage, high efficiency role, which we expected, uh, rebounded well. And I, I think was was pretty competent every everywhere else. So he, he gets a solid B plus for me this year. Ten points, nine point three rebounds, uh three point six assists, which actually like feels a little low. if you would have asked me if he would have hit four assists uh, a game, I would have told you yes, but he ended up beneath that slightly. Um at times was one of the few ways the Pistons could actually create offense, which was a surprise to me. Um, was a was a great lob finisher, rim roller. Everyone enjoyed those uh, behind the head uh, finishes around the rim from Mason. Um, kind of gave up playing consistent defensively towards the <laughs> end of the season. Don't really blame him, um, but that also I don't think would have made him a threat to the tank uh, because of the way he was defending. But yeah, I think I think Mason proved enough to show that um, you know he's a a lower tier starting caliber NBA center. And I think that's a B. Um, I, I would be happy to have Mason around next season. Uh, if he got traded this off season, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Mason Plumley experience. All right, Ben, next up, Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart, B Stu was my favorite player to watch this season. And I think there's a chance that he becomes the best player out of this group of young players and rookies. I'm not sure that's a, a, a for sure thing, but I, I think it's possible. I think it's fairly possible. Um, you know, his outside shooting sort of fell apart a little bit. It was a little bit of a roller coaster toward the end of the season. We talked about him hitting a little bit of a rookie wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's still some work to do on him in terms of his team defense, but I mean, he's 19. 
so you can forgive some of their uh, some of that. But look, I think there's a higher ceiling here than we initially thought when we drafted him. He's become a fan favorite for good reason. Um, for me, Isaiah Stewart, and this look, this is pretty subjective, but to me, he's an A. I'm just a big fan. I really enjoyed watching him play this year. He was such a bright spot in a very <laughs> dim season. For that reason, he gets an A from me, even if you can pick apart his game and maybe objectively go a little worse. No, I yeah, I get where you're coming from. Uh, Stewart, eight points, seven rebounds, give or take. Ended up shooting, ended up shooting thirty three percent from three on like just under one attempt per game. Would have liked to seen him shoot at the volume he was shooting at uh, towards the end of the season for longer, but understandable why he wasn't comfortable doing that right away. Um, led the led the team. I didn't. I almost said led the league, and that is very much not true. But he led the team in blocks, which uh, was a surprise for you know a six eight dude who doesn't really elevate all that well. Um, but yeah, he he continued to show us so many facets as the year went on. At first, he was all heart and hustle. Uh, then we started to see a little bit of the skill of his ability to you know switch out on the guards and and contain around the rim. Uh, then we started to see the offensive flashes, him, you know, shooting those aforementioned threes. And then finally in the Chicago game, we got the uh, the drive and uh, attack a closeout and finish at the rim, for which uh, which is like the next natural step and uh, a great thing to see before the end of the season. And so, yeah, I, I think the grade of an A is a fair one to give Isaiah Stewart. He is definitely going to make A all rookie team. I don't know which one he's going to make, but he's definitely going to make a all rookie team. And I think that that, um, that is a solid showing for a guy who was taken in the draft where he was. Um, and a guy who still has like more, more to show at the NBA level. I think it's not, this isn't a, uh, a Brandon Clark situation from last year where he kind of maximized what we think he's going to be capable of, um, you know, in his career, in, in his first year. So yeah, A A for Isaiah Stewart. I I like that, Ben. All right, uh, last but not least on the centers, Jaleel Okafor. All right, so with Jaleel, we swing to the other side of the spectrum for me personally. Um, You know, Jaleel gets you buckets, but he also gives up his fair share of buckets. He ended up with the second worst rating on the team, Ooh. worse than negative 10, which is which is really bad. Um, plus, he's just way too turnover prone, and he's just a mediocre to poor rebounder. Um, you know, early in the season, I was trying so hard to pull for Jaleel, and he got hurt. He missed a bunch of time. And unfortunately, just as a whole, I, I can't be too kind to him. His numbers just are not very good. Um, you know, plus being brought in to give a team some sort of a boost, even if it's at a really small salary, when you get completely outplayed by a 19 year old uh, and pretty much every facet of the game and no one was expecting that out of said 19 year old, that's not a, that's not a great look for you. So unfortunately, as much as I hate to do it, uh, Jaleel gets the failing D from me. I just, I don't think he was very good for the Pistons when you look at the complete picture of the season. Yeah, Jaleel averaged five points and 2.4 rebounds a game. Shot 62% from the floor, which sounds nice. And then you realize that he took four shots a game, and it sounds less nice for a guy who was brought in to be a little bit more impactful offensively than I think he he ended up being. Uh, we, you mentioned the injury. That was definitely um, an impediment to him having a good year, but... Uh, with with how well Isaiah Stewart played, it seemed like it was going to be Isaiah Stewart's time, regardless of whether or not Julio Okafor got injured. Right? It maybe uh, accelerated what uh, Isaiah what minutes Isaiah Stewart was going to get, but that that was coming, right? And so yeah, I think yeah, I'm also giving Jaleel a D D for doubt, as in I doubt he's on this team next year. Sorry, Jaleel. <laughs> All right, Ben, next up, we switch to the power forwards and Jeremy Grant. Yeah, Jeremy Grant. I have had mixed feelings about him all season, and I may take some flack for this, but I'm just not as high on Jeremy Grant as some people 
are, I think. So I'm going to give that by way of preface and also say I know that very smart people disagree with me. So so I'm, I'm very aware that I could be wrong on this take. But, you know, I dug pretty deep into the numbers as the season uh, concluded. And I think the different types of numbers tell two stories about Jeremy Grant. The first one would be the various box score numbers you can look at. You can look at things like true shooting efficiency, rebound rates, assist rates, and turnover rates. And you end up with a guy from that lens who is like an okay-ish scorer in terms of efficiency. He's kind of like just above league average if you're comparing him to small forwards and bigs. Um, But he's not a very good rebounder. He doesn't do much in terms of facilitating for other people. But he's also really, really low turnover, right? So he's this... Uh, He's this guy who, when you look at his offensive efficiency as a whole, is like high volume, decent efficiency, but manages to score 20 plus points a game, which which is a feat in and of itself. So he does that in a fairly efficient way, but he doesn't rebound well. Uh, He's not particularly much of a facilitator or creator for others. The other way is when you look at this team in terms of his on-off numbers and his net rating numbers, he actually looks really, really good. The Pistons were... Um, better with him on the floor than they weren't. So maybe he's indirectly creating opportunities for others that don't show up when you're looking at assist rates and and things like that for Jeremy as an individual. Uh, The last thing I'll call out that was really surprising to me, but when we got to the end of the season, my eyeballs were telling me that Jeremy was creating a lot of his own offense. But when I started looking at things like... um, percent of field goals that are assisted he ended up being almost identical to another guy in the team named frank jackson which was super surprising to me that was just a, a really interesting he he ended up not being an individual creator to the extent that my eyeballs were, were telling me that he was having said that like offensively watching him play was certainly a joy he's a very um he's a very diverse sort of sort of scorer he can get you buckets in a lot of different ways and he brings some athleticism and slashing that the Pistons haven't seen in a very long time. So for me, Jeremy doesn't get the A that I think a lot of people would give him. He still does get a B for me. And I'm hopeful that in his second year in a more prominent role, he grows into some of those other things that I think kind of just overall hold him back from being um, like a, a really true superstar right now. Okay. I like that a lot. Um, I think when you, when you look at the numbers, right, 22 points a game, uh, 4.6 rebounds a game, fewer than three assists a game, um, shot only quote unquote, only 35% from three on six attempts a game, which I think is something you would like to see increase. Uh, Yes. A lot of those looks were self-created. Uh, yes, he took a lot more of those shots than he's ever taken before in his NBA career. But still, you would like him to can be able to convert on more of those attempts. Um, shot a what I believe was a career high 84% from the line on six free throw attempts a game. That ended up being really huge. I think that was uh, really important for getting him to be as efficient as he was. But like you mentioned, the, the lack of playmaking for others um, is... The lack of playmaking for others, even when combined with the the lack of turnovers for himself, just meant that you were getting shots out of Jeremy. Whether or not they were going in was kind of a function of you know how closely the defense was playing him. Um, but you know when Jeremy Grant was getting the ball, he was shooting it. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. He had an effective field goal percentage of uh, under fifty percent, but he was the only guy on the team that teams had to worry about after Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose left. And so, like, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right to say that uh, it was fair to um, when you when you look at the season that Jeremy Grant actually had instead of the season we maybe expected him to have. There, there could have been a little bit more he has to give. You know, fortunately, he's only 27, I believe, and so there, there still is another level that I think he can get to. Um, I think he can be more uh, impactful on the defensive end when he's not asked to do as much on offense as he currently is. Um, And I do think the free throw shooting is real, um, which is a big deal for him. 
because if he's going to be a guy who gets, uh, you know, six, seven trips to the line a game, like that's a big deal for a Pistons team that really needs uh, someone who can uh, create and convert those easy looks. So, uh, and we should also note he is a finalist for most improved. He's one of the final, uh, his top three for most improved. Um, I think that that was, that was pretty like pretty sewn up after the first 20 games that he would be a candidate for that award, but it was good to see him uh, continue to produce statistically, even if his efficiency definitely took a hit after like the first 25, 30 ish games. Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Jeremy Grant the A, but I'm going to give him the A because he so outpaced the expectations I had for him um, and not necessarily give him the A uh, because he was, uh, you know, uh, equivalent to an actual number one option on a playoff team or a championship contender or anything like that. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's Jeremy's NBA destiny, but he was much, much better than I thought he would be. And so I, I think I, I, I'm going to grade him a little more gently than you've been and give him the A. All right. Next up in terms of power forwards is Seku Dumbuya. Oh, Seku. Oh, Seku. <laughs> You know, if we could grade Seku on just the last, what, three weeks of the season or so on his nice moments, that would be one thing. But unfortunately, I, I don't think we can do that. Um, I don't know if what Seku gave us in those glimpses toward the end is real or not, Laz. And I don't know. Maybe maybe you feel like it's more real than I do. That's No, that's an entirely fair judgment. <laughs> so for me, Seku is unfortunately another failing grade for me. Um, he's a D when I look at his season as a whole, not just the good parts at the end, I do not have much confidence um, that he's a much better player than he was a season ago. There were some nice moments. I will emphasize that, but the complete product was just extraordinarily disappointing um, on the whole. If his destiny is at power forward in the NBA, um, he's got to be a significantly better rebounder, for example, uh, he's a very poor rebounder. Um, you know, if he's going to be a stretch power forward in the NBA, his three-point shooting has to get quite a bit better, I think, and much more consistent. Um, and I think, look, he's got to learn how to be part of a five-man scheme on both ends of the floor on a consistent basis, um, you know, before he he actually establishes that he's a legitimate NBA player. There's just so much inconsistency in terms of, what his activity is, uh, and, and really this is on both ends, from game to game. There's still this crapshoot of, okay, when we put Seiko in tonight, which Seiko are we going to get? And uh, in my opinion, much more often than not, it was the disengaged, lost, aloof Seiko that, that didn't make much of an impact. So unfortunately, you know, I'm just not sold on him right now. Um, but maybe if what we saw at the end of the season is real and there's more of that in the future, this conversation will be more interesting when we get to the midpoint of next season. Yeah, this is this is a much more optimistic D than we're going to give Jaleel Okafor, right? We yeah. we feel there's there's a lot of reason to have optimism around Seku's future, but currently, like what he did was not amazing. You know, five points, two point six rebounds, um, less than an assist per game shot 22 23 if you want to round up percent from three that is bad um and and like you mentioned ben um the the stretch element i think is what is like really going to make or break whether or not teams uh choose to defend him and he proved even even when he was playing well um he did not necessarily like make or take a ton of threes and so I, I do want him to figure that part of his game out. That's going to be, you know, that's going to force closeouts. That's going to force help. Um, that's going to force uh, rotations, which enable him to attack and drive and do the things that we like him doing. Um, but, you know, teams will just sit back on him and let him shoot if he's going to shoot, you know, 23% from three from his career. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I don't want to be overly harsh on Seku because we did see the flashes. We did see some great things out of him. Um, but, you know, we saw great things out of him his rookie year, and that did not persist. And so all we can say is that we hope that the play he showed at the end of the year 
is the strong uh, anchor point during which he like comes forward from uh, over over this offseason and he doesn't regress. But yeah, I, I think a D is is fair for Seku, unfortunately. All right, Ben. Last but not least, in the power forwards, we have Tyler Cook. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna forget Tyler Cook this time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I have a ton to say about Tyler Cook other than I I enjoyed watching his story evolve over the season. You know, whether or not he becomes a, a long term NBA player, I think is, is still to be determined. He hasn't 100% convinced me of that yet. But look, he was, in my opinion, fun to watch. He ended up shooting a ridiculously high percentage and so many of those buckets were dunks uh the kid has some hops and it's a lot of fun to watch him finish uh so i enjoyed that part um so yeah i mean for me the rest of his game is is suspect to me i don't know the rest of his game is there he doesn't have much besides you know finishing assisted dunks offensively um you know defensively he's a bit undersized um you know i'm not I'm not sure that there's enough there as a complete package to make it. So I'm going to, I'm going to give him a C, but it's a C that acknowledges that I, I had a lot, a lot of fun watching him, especially uh, finishing. He had some pretty excited finishes this year, but yeah, I'm not sure I have a whole lot more super awesome things to say. Tyler Cook averaged five and a half points and 3.3 rebounds per game. So better numbers than Seku, but just barely in roughly the same amount of time minutes per game uh shot much better from the floor like you noted but also shot uh a much more uh limited had a much more limited shot diet than, than Seku. absolutely um was played as an undersized center towards the end of the year uh did okay in that role uh i wonder if that's what we see out of him uh, moving forward, just because I think the things he does do well, which is, you know, uh, elevate in space and, uh, you know, act as a pick and roll uh, dive partner uh, are things that will be better suited for uh, a center than a power forward. And so I wonder if that's like, that's what he ends up being in the NBA. Uh, Yeah, he was better. He was better numerically than Seku for a great majority of the season. And so I got to give him a better grade than Seku. And that means Tyler Cook gets a C minus. Um, he was, he was fine. I'm interested to see uh, what he looks like for the cruise next season. If he ends up, you know, still in the Pistons system. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention, 63% of his buckets were three feet or inside, which was by far the most of any, like the biggest percentage him and Plumlee were up top, but. Yeah, 63% of his shots were inside three feet. Not a, not a whole lot else going on but those dunks. That's, he, he did what he was good at. Can't, That's true. Can't fault him for that. All right, Ben, we move on to the small forwards, starting with Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, a guy who I enjoyed watching play a lot more than my statistical evaluation of his play <laughs> would suggest. I don't remember who said this in the comments, but... Um, it was something to the effect of Josh Jackson's a lot of fun to watch and sometimes he contributes to winning. And I feel like that just, it made me chuckle, but it, it was also somewhat true. Um, I'm, I'm cheering for Josh. I hope he finds a way to sort of become a little more steady. He's very up and down. He's very streaky. Laz, I think that's a term you use to describe his offensive performance. And I, I think that's very apt. When his outside jumper is going and he's able to turn that into, um, you know, slashing and attacking the rim, he's got a really interesting and diverse skill set that can make him kind of a problem to guard. But when that shot isn't dropping, it isn't dropping and he doesn't really stop shooting either. So, um, you know, he can end up he can end up shooting his lineups uh, out of the game defensively. I love how hard he plays. Um, you know, his length and athleticism generates some really interesting blocks that you don't often see out of swingman. And so you, you have to love that. Um, for me, he gets a B minus overall because I think, you know, those those bad shooting nights are, are hard to look away from and ignore. But I'm, I'm still hoping he's young enough to level some of that streakiness out uh, and become a little bit more consistent, which I think would help his overall uh, production quite a bit. Josh averaged 
13.4 points, uh, four rebounds, and two assists per game. I would have guessed a little bit more than two assists. He was a better playmaker, I think. He was one of the – he was a decent playmaker, I thought, for, for the team this year. Um, shot only 30% from three for the year, which was not a surprise because he kind of went cold as the as the year went on. But after he started the year really hot, you remember I remember like the first couple of weeks of the season he was shooting like 50% from three. And we knew that wasn't going to last, but you hoped he would kind of settle at, you know, 34, 35% instead of at uh, 30%. But, uh, but like you said, Ben, he – uh, somebody had to score those buckets, and he was more than willing to uh, to take on that load uh, for this team. Um, he he was extremely streaky. He plays uh, very arrhythmically. I enjoy what Josh offers. I've been trying to get Josh to Detroit for years. I think Josh will be more enjoyable as a part of this Pistons team when when his role is actually a little bit less when the, the, the less you have to rely on Josh Jackson to like generate things. I think the, the better off he will be and the better off your, your team will be. I don't know how happy he will be about that situation, but I think that's, uh, I think that's a, a better situation for him than being, you know, the seventh man uh, off the bench. If you can be like the, you know, your eighth guy, your ninth guy where you just let him play to his strengths, get up and down the floor and transition, um, get fouled. He also managed what uh, almost like four free throws a game on uh, only 25 minutes a game, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Shot 73% from the line, which is better than I thought. You you would think a 73% uh, free throw shooter would shoot better than uh, 30% from three. I'll say that. Um, I'll give Josh a B minus. I'll give Josh Josh a C. I, I, I enjoyed what he did as long as I didn't look at the box score. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, and, like the thing that you're talking about last is right. Like he's out, he's outside of his role. Second highest usage rate on the team behind Jeremy Grant. Like, I don't think that's where you want that to end up. Yeah. And third on third on the team. Well, second on the team in like field goal attempts per game. Right. Like that's also like not really where you want Josh Jackson being on this team. Well, a guy you probably would like to see shoot more, Ben, Sadiq Bey. Yeah, Sadiq Bey, another one who subjectively for me, um, you know, right there with Isaiah Stewart as the shining star of the team. Um, so for me, he gets an A. Again, even if objectively you could you could nitpick that a bit. I just had so much fun watching Sadiq Bey this season. Um, he grew in terms of what he was able to do offensively over the course of the entire season. Um, from what looked to kind of a three and D guy to a guy with some interesting post-up game, which we so rarely see out of wing players anymore. Uh, also a little bit of ability to finish, uh, you know, certainly prefers to, to be on the perimeter, but also turned into just an absolute fantastic shooter. Uh, and, and I think with Sadiq, yes, he had some poor shooting nights, but to me, what I love from him as a young player was, really a pretty consistent per- performance and certainly a consistent effort. Um, I think you can tie a lot of the Pistons' success as limited as it was this season uh, to how good Sadiq Bey was and how ready he was to step into a much more significant role than maybe uh, you would have envisioned when he when he was um, drafted. Certainly a guy I can see being around for a long time um, certainly a guy who, even though he's a bit older than a lot of the other rookies, I think still could really develop some really interesting diversity to his offensive game when you look particularly at his his strength for his size. Um, you know, watching him play a little bit of bully ball and posting up uh, was really interesting. And, and a guy who I think competes, um, you know, defensively. I, you know, do, is he ever going to be like a, a lockdown defender? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, but certainly a guy who competes hard uh, on the defensive end as well. So Sadiq Bay, pleasure to watch. Glad he's a piston. Um, gets an A from me for for his season performance. Sadiq averaged twelve point two points, uh, four and a half rebounds, and one point four assists. Shot thirty eight percent from three on six point six attempts per game. And we, we know we uh, we talked about this a lot on the podcast was potentially going to break the rookie record for made threes in a season if they played 82 games 
Um, and uh, you know, he didn't, and he didn't start the year as a solid part of the rotation. So I think that's, I think that's really impressive. Sadiq had a, a really impressive year. Um, I, I really liked the progression he made as a movement shooter as the year went on. Uh, James Edwards had a nice article in the athletic about, you know, how Sadiq was getting instruction from, from the coaching staff and getting help from Wayne Ellington about um, getting, getting balanced after movement uh, and still being able to, to put up shots. Um, I think that that will be a really big part of how he uh, contributes offensively to a team. It's, it's, it was uh, really easy to kind of mentally pencil him in as a catch and shoot guy. But I think uh, as he becomes a guy, you can uh, run off pin downs as he becomes a guy who, uh, um, you know, lifts from the corner to the wing and uh, makes the defense uh, have to account for him. Um, I think that'll be a really important part of his offense moving forward. Um, and he, as he, as teams learn that he was a threat from three and as he got better as a movement shooter, he also got fouled on three point attempts a, a more, which, um, helped him get to the free throw line, which he wasn't really doing otherwise, because, uh, again, teams didn't really respect him as a driver or a finisher. Uh, I remember it. Didn't he, didn't he start the year like one of 12 from inside the arc or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he had that stretch where he could not make anything inside. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, I, I remember that. And it's like, yeah, that that stuff matters as well. But he got better about at, at that as the year went on. Um, but I don't ever think that's – I think his three-pointing is going to be more of a strength than than that even uh, as his career goes on. But, you know, uh, as he, you know, as he gets better about uh, being a shooter off movement and drawing fouls that way, that'll be an easy source of points for him. Um, I think the, the next big thing for him is uh, just like a touch more playmaking, right? The, the similar things to what we said about Jeremy Grant, um, except Sadiq has the ball in his hands a little bit less, but I think that if he can take, if you can, if guys are closing out as hard as they're closing out on Sadiq, if you can get him to take two like North South dribbles and make a good decision to another player, I think that'll be really big for him and his ability uh, to contribute like positively offensively. He was already doing that, but his ability to do that will just uh, make, it'll give defenses like more things that they'll have to account for. And I think that'll be, that'll make him even tougher to defend and just make him a better player overall. I'm also going to give Sadiq a, a. Uh, he's probably going to make a, he's going again, like Isaiah Stewart, he's going to make an all rookie team. I, I think Sadiq has a better case than Stewart for first team all rookie. We'll see if that gets uh, if that happens with the voters. Not entirely sure about all rookie teams, how teams are feeling about that. But yes, uh, Sadiq Bey had a really good year uh, in Detroit. All right, Ben. Last but not least, for the small forwards, our man Davidas Servitas. <laughs> uh, yeah he he played for the Pistons this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know what to say, man. He's just not he he's not very good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to give him anything other than a D, unless you want to try to argue incomplete. Um, you you can see flashes of the shooting that got him into the NBA, um, but but beyond that, like yeah, I don't know. He's got a lot to prove still to me, and I don't think I want to talk a ton more about him. Two point one points. Uh, 1.5 rebounds and like less than half an assist per game. 35.7% from three on 1.4 attempts per game. If he can be a guy who is 6'8 and shoots the ball as gets the ball out of his hands as quickly as he does and make 37, 38, 39% of his threes, he can be an NBA player. Um, you know, what level of NBA player and, you know, not a, not an amazing one, but he can be an NBA player. If he can't do that, if he can, if he's a guy who shoots, he shot 30, you know, 36% from three, if that falls to 34, 33, 32% from three, probably not an NBA player. Um, I look forward to seeing which version of Davidas plays for the Motor City Cruise next season. Uh, D or incomplete. I think incomplete is more fair. You really only got time towards the end of the year. All right, Ben shooting guards. We're going to start with a a new name, a name we uh, didn't begin the year with. We're going to start with Hamadou Diallo. 
Yeah, Liz, I struggled to evaluate Hamdou Diallo. Um, you know, when he got to the Pistons, he just went on a rampage. Um, some of that shooting we knew was going to be unsustainable. He came here just making everything. Um, but then, you know, he was sort of in and out of the lineups, um, dealing with some injuries and resting. And it felt like he sort of got out of sync and out of rhythm um, toward the end of the season. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I want to see more of Hami before I give him, um, you know, a really firm grade. But I think, you know, as I was digging into the numbers from him, it was one of the guys whose eyeballs sort of matched the stats, I think. Um, you know, he was really good, relatively speaking, at creating his own looks. So if you look at all of the shooting guards, um, by quite a bit, he was actually, um, like, he was creating his own two-point looks more than any of the other guards, right? Which feeds into his slashing ability that we recognize with our eyes. So so that's real. He gets to the rim, he gets to the bucket, uh, and he creates his own offense, um, which I love. His end-of-season three-point shooting in Detroit ended up being a relatively high percentage, up near 39%, which actually surprised me when I reviewed this. But I think that's counterbalanced by... Um, the fact that it came at a pretty low volume, right? About two attempts a game. So um, I really enjoy watching him play a lot. I love his athleticism. I love his slashing. Um, I love his ability to fin- to finish. I think what I would need to see happen for him to really thrive is for the Pistons to run more. As we've talked a lot about pace and how mm-hmm. slow the Pistons played this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like he is a guy who is going to thrive if he gets unleashed uh, in that sort of capacity. So, um, you know, I gave Josh Jackson a B minus to me. Hami was better overall offensively than Josh, but they, they're sort of redundant to each other in a lot of a lot of ways. They play kind of the same way. So, you know, to me, he's a little bit better, a little more productive efficiency wise, even if the total points per game are a little lower. So he gets like the the higher B, um, but I feel like I, I really am optimistic about him if that three point shooting can become a more like if he can maintain that high thirties efficiency at a higher volume per game because right now you know he's he seems fairly reluctant to shoot those which is understandable if you looked at the trajectory of his, his career but uh, you know as you pointed out he's probably going to be here for a while you know so the things I'm looking for is one let him run let the kids run all of them I think he'll benefit from that and let's hope that his his uh, three-point shooting improves because I think that could really open up things for his dribble drive game yeah Hemi averaged uh, 11.2 points per game in Detroit five rebounds a game which uh, you don't normally get five rebounds from your shooting guard, but his athleticism really uh, showed itself in his rebounding numbers. I think um, you, you talked a little bit about the three point shooting, Ben, I'm not going to repeat what you said. I'm going to point to the other, the number that interested me was that um, he shot 66% from the line mm-hmm. after starting his Detroit tenure, I think, hovering at like the like 85% mark for the first five or so games from the free throw line. Um, he, because of his athleticism, he is a guy who will get to the rim and will get fouled a lot. I think that that, uh, I think that raising that free throw percentage is going to be huge for him and his potential to, uh, to, uh, contribute offensively. Um, you talked about the low volume of threes, um, and I think that belies, you know, a confidence in his shot. Uh, if he can be more confident in his free throw stroke, um, I think that that'll show up in the three point numbers as well. Um, and that's something that I would like to see him improve on moving forward. Uh, the only other thing I will say is that um, he was not as impactful on defense as I thought he would be able to. In Detroit, he showed some real moments of like a true impact on that end in Oklahoma City. And we saw some of that sometimes in Detroit, but much the flashes were fewer and farther between than I expected. Um, and so I would also like to see him uh, make more of an effort to contribute uh, on that end of the floor. I 
like I, I think he was roughly equivalent to Josh. Actually, I think I think they were asked to do different things. Uh, a lot of the, they were asked to do similar things, but uh, they just went about it differently. Um, and of course, you know, Josh played most nights, and Hami didn't. So you have to factor that in as well. I'm gonna give Hami to a C. Um, I hope he like he's still young. He's got time to uh, improve and be more of a part uh and i like all signs are pointing to him being a part of this team long term uh and so i I hope he gets better i hope he gets more confident and i hope he uh, continues to attack the rim and and get fouled and make some free throws all right ben next shooting guard is i think it's i think it's fair to say this guy was the surprise of the season for detroit frank jackson yeah that's literally what my notes say surprise of the season um a guy who really emerged i think after we saw the retooling of the roster, we saw Derrick Rose and, and Blake Griffin get traded. And Frank Jackson just leapt at the opportunity and became just an absolute spark plug off the bench, gets you buckets, um, and really pretty consistently. Um, so statistically, like the profile between him and Jeremy as scorers is so ridiculously um, similar to me in that they're both like, creating about the same number of their own two point shots, which, which surprised me Um, both really low turnover guys, which I think is one of the reasons why some of the all in one numbers like Frank Jackson quite a bit more than I was expecting them to. Um, And then look, (laughs) he, he doesn't facilitate or create for anyone either, which, you know, I I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily fair to ask him to do that in the role that he's playing, but um, proved to be a very reliable scorer, ended up being a very efficient scorer, especially for a shooting guard. Um, and I've said it before, I love his hairdo. Um, <laughs> I hope he never cuts it. But yeah, Frank Jackson, a lot of fun to watch. A, definitely a Detroit, Detroit story. Easy to get behind the underdog who's bounced around the league and, and carves out a niche for himself off the bench. Um, yeah, I mean, he gets a solid B from me. Very, very solid season offensively as a bucket getter off the bench. The transition from point guard to shooting guard was huge oh, for yeah. Frank. Yeah. Because I when he when he was first in Detroit, uh they were trying to use him to initiate offense. That was uh that was not working at the level that uh, he needed to do to stay in the NBA. And so turning him into a shooting guard, turning him into turning him into Langston Galloway was, was really uh beneficial for him and for the team. Um, now that he has found an NBA role that he can succeed in, I think this will be a really big offseason for Frank. I hope the Pistons retain him. Pistons need more guys who can shoot. Um, Frank shot 40% from three on almost four attempts a game in like less than 20 minutes a game. Um, I think there's like there's reason to believe that if you played Frank 25 minutes a night, you would get you know six threes at 40% shooting, which is like basically what you got from Sadiq, which is you know, that'd be, that'd be really good. That'd be really useful. Um, I'll be interested to see what his next contract looks like. Lots of teams need dudes who shoot 40% from three, but he is slightly undersized and he was not amazing on defense. Um, and like you mentioned, he did not do a lot of creating for other people. Uh, and so I, I definitely am curious to see like what, uh, other NBA teams think of Frank Jackson. I'm going to give Frank Jackson a B plus. Um, he was, a, he was a surprisingly, surprisingly fun piston to watch, and so like the the watchability factor definitely like bumps up his letter grade a little bit in my mind. All right, Ben. Next shooting guard is Wayne Ellington. <laughs> Deja vu. I feel like he was the same player this go around as the last player, right? Like, yeah. Obviously, shoots the lights out. Um, you called out his sort of mentoring of Sadiq Bay and working on. Uh, shooting off of movement. I think something Wayne obviously excels at coming off screens, off balance, and still able to knock down the three-point shot consistently. Um, you know, we know he, he he can't and or won't defend, and that's just <laughs> who he is at 33 years old in the NBA. So, you know, I mean, he just kind of, he, he did exactly what we'd expect him to do, which for me, you know, kind of makes him a C-level player. Um, but, you know, he handled it professionally. And uh, I'm assuming not going to be around next season. But, hey, you never know. Maybe two seasons again he'll be back. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, 
the surprise for me was that he was still around at the deadline after he shot, uh, you know, in excess of 40% from three for half the year. He was shooting, he shot 42% from three on the year. He was shooting higher than that uh, prior to the trade deadline. I, I really thought that there were teams that would offer the Pistons, you know, something minorly meaningful in order to obtain him and make a playoff push uh, with that level of movement shooter on their team. That didn't happen. And he was still, you know, game for staying with the team and, uh, you know, playing hard every single night. Talked about the mentoring of Sadiq. Uh, He was so good that I think it was, in fact, mandatory to sit him to preserve the tank, which is a big compliment, I think, to to Wayne Ellington. Wayne gets a uh, a solid B from from me. Um, Thank you, Wayne. Really appreciate it. I hope I don't see you next year. All right, last but not least for the shooting guards, Ben, Roddy Magruder. Yeah, a guy who I like forgot about until I saw him on the sidelines and street clothes the last half of the season. Um, scored the ball efficiently, but I, like, I can hardly remember the games in which he played, right? I mean, he only played in 16 games, played less than 200 minutes in those games. Um, for context, Servetus played in 20 games and 133 minutes, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about Rodney. He's literally the forgotten man for me this season. 5.7 points. Um, what's this? Five? No, that's that's not right. There we go. 1.4 rebounds, one assist. Uh, remember when he was playing point guard because they didn't have any point guards? That was weird. Barely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the thing. Barely. Uh, got called out. Uh, I I thought it was funny that uh, what what happened? He got called out by somebody in Denver, and then Dwayne like used him as the backup point guard in Utah the next night to prove a point. And I thought that was weird, but funny. But like, yeah, that's that's my enduring memory of Rodney Magruder this seating. We weird, but but ultimately like fine. Uh, Rodney gets a C minus. He was there. I'm. I would have loved to know if like if like Wayne Ellington he had an equally important mentorship role for another guy on the team but we we never really got that story that reporting um it's harder to do that stuff when you're not you know around the team uh, when you're not like literally in the building with the team as none of the beat writers were because of covid and so maybe there was some invisible leadership element that Rodney offered that we never got to see uh, but uh, I can't grade him on something I I never saw or never heard so yeah, Rodney gets uh, what he gets. All right, Ben, we can move to the point guards. First up on the point guard list, Corey Joseph. Yeah, Corey Joseph is the Dwayne Casey flash in the pan point guard of the year, I think. Um, I did not really enjoy watching Corey Joseph play. He was very ball dominant, in my opinion, when he was out there. He slid very naturally into that DeLon Wright role after the <laughs> trade. Um Shot the ball ridiculously well, given his career averages. Uh, And his box score stats, like, all look pretty impressive, right? Um, Here's something that may surprise you. Highest net rating on the team per NBA.com stats, which completely and totally uh, surprised me. A guy who I feel like, you know, the amount that I enjoyed watching him and his productivity were not necessarily consistent with each other. I think... Every minute he was out there, I was just wishing Killian Hayes were healthy and in the <laughs> rotation. Um, but frankly, you know, w- was very productive, um, you know, even if it wasn't always pretty to watch. So I'm going to give him a B because I think the production warranted that. Um, but I hope they find a way, you know, to move his contract and uh, create more minutes for, for Saban Lee and Killian Hayes. Corey Joseph averaged 12 points, uh, three rebounds, and five assists. Five assists, that's a lot for what you you were right, Ben. He was extremely productive as a member of the Pistons. Shot 36% from three, which is also uh, not exactly what I expected from Corey Joseph uh, when he was returned to us in trade. Um, I didn't think he would be good enough to derail the tank, and he was on multiple occasions. That's to his credit. Um. I, I said this with uh, Omari Sankofa of the Free Press. If there had been fans in the stand 
they would have loved Corey Joseph because fans like to see wins because that's what they paid for because they are in the stands and they literally paid to be there. And so I think that, uh, you know, his role on this team as a guy who was messing up the tank for everybody would have been a little le- bit less pronounced if uh, this were a, a normal, a normal quote unquote normal season. Um, I did wish quite often that he was Killian Hayes, uh, but then again, I wish I wish Killian Hayes played as well as he did half the time. And so, yeah, Corey Joseph gets a B from me. Um, Killian Hayes apparently likes Corey Joseph. And so we might see more of him uh, in the future. Don't know how I feel about that. Still working on those feelings. <laughs> All right, Ben, next up, Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes. Um, what he does well, he does, I think, remarkably well for a 19-year-old point guard. The things he struggles with, he struggles with pretty hard, but they're also things that I think you would expect almost all 19-year-old point guards to struggle with. On the whole, I think that makes his on-court impact a net negative, unfortunately, but I remain um, very, very optimistic about him. So for me, his on-court performance gets a C-. minus. The obvious problems would be Uh, the turnovers uh, and the shooting. And to just put that in quantitative terms, he did have the highest turnover rate on the team and that combined with the lowest true shooting percentage on the team, uh, which turns into some, some pretty ugly offense. Having said that, um, you know, it is a pleasure to watch him defend as a 19 year old who clearly relishes defending, which I think is a fantastic thing to have on your team and have as part of the culture. And then the thing that he obviously does very well that we've talked about at length on this podcast is how well he sees the floor for a 19-year-old kid. He had some phenomenal high, highlight real, you know, fancy passes throughout the season, but I think also has a good sense of, of when it's right to make the simple pass. Um, and then I think the thing that I, I maybe didn't talk as highly of as I probably should have given his troubles finishing um, were how easily he does get into the paint. Um, you know, obviously drawing fouls is something he doesn't do very well and finishing that little floater in the paint is not something he's been able to do with, with a whole lot of efficiency, but the fact that he can get there, um, very consistently at 19 years old is, is very, very encouraging. So, um, I think we're going to see some pretty significant strides next season around the turnovers. Um, I, I think again, that's something you can expect a 19 year old rookie to struggle with and, I expect him to improve at least one component of, of his individual shooting. Maybe that's the floater, or maybe it's the step back three that we saw a little bit of at the end of the season. And I, I think when those things start to happen, we'll have a lot more people excited about, about Killian Hayes. So C minus for me, cause you, you can't get over the fact that the shooting and the turnovers were, were a real problem, but still a lot of optimism about Killian Hayes turning into a pretty good point guard. Yeah. Killian averaged seven points and five assists per game. Uh, and to your point, Ben, three turno- 3.2 turnovers a game. Uh, so the assist to turnover ratio still kind of under two to one, but uh, still pretty impressive that uh, he was able to dish out five assists a game in 25 minutes a night. Um, a lot of optimism around what he offers. Uh, we saw the flashes, but um, was not, Looked uh, looked unsure of himself when he was first inserted into the starting lineup when we first got a good look at him. Uh, did not get the chance to work through those initial issues because of the injury. Uh, returned from the injury and played a much more, uh, played a much stronger and uh, more productive brand of basketball uh, after the team was completely restructured. Um but that still was not enough to make him, you know, an efficient player. Uh, so I'm going to give Killian a C minus as well. Um, I think the the biggest things for him to work on this offseason will be uh, finishing around the rim. Like you mentioned, he can get into the paint and you he wants to get to that floater. But in the NBA, he's got to be able to, uh, you know, engage bigs, make bigs, foul him and, and convert around the rim. Uh, be more aggressive in that manner. 
Um, and he's got to work on the pull-up threes. I think we saw he made strides as a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, which was a big knock on him you know, coming into this year. Um, now it's time for, as he gets stronger, uh, as he gets more used to the, the daily rigors of the NBA, it's time for him to show a lot of that self-creation from behind the three-point line, which should open up the passing lanes, which should lower the turnovers, which should be the thing that, that uh, unlocks the rest of his game. All right, Ben. Uh, next up, Saban Lee. Yeah, Saban Lee, you know, other than Frank Jackson, I think the big surprise of the season. Um, I just have these vivid memories of watching him in the preseason and being very unimpressed. Um, but by the time he started getting his number called in the regular season, you know, he turned into a pretty solid performer. I think on the whole, um, you know, I, I was questioning, okay, is he a number three point guard or a number two point guard? Uh, I think you can make the case that um, you know, he could be a number two point guard on a, a winning team. Um, he might be a number three card if, if you're looking at the elite teams in the NBA. But to me, um, absolutely surprising player. Um, managed to develop a bit of a three point shot as this, the season went on. Um, I think more of a facilitator than some of, um, you know, the other point guards that we saw. We had a lot of a lot of point guard play this season that was more focused on um, sort of getting their own buckets, guys like Corey Joseph and so on. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited about Saban Lee. I, I don't think he, he turns into a starter necessarily, um, but I think I like him as a backup point guard. And uh, I think this was a great catch by Troy Weaver. Uh, I certainly didn't have these sorts of expectations about him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would give uh, Saban Lee a B. I think he exceeded expectation. He earned his minutes, um, and, and I hope he sticks around. I, th- I think he's a solid point guard right now. Saban averaged 5.6 points, uh, 3.6 assists per game, um, Was played with much better pace than I expected a rookie point guard of his athleticism to, to play with. Normally, when you have a guy who can, uh, you know, run as fast, dribble as fast, jump as high, dunk as hard as Saban Lee does. Those guys have one, they have two gears. They have first gear and they have fifth gear, right? Saban, Saban's ability to play with different speeds, to threaten the defense in that way, I think was was really impressive. And the thing that kind of makes him uh, a long-term uh, point guard prospect in my mind. Um the shooting is still kind of a question. He did shoot a good percentage. He shot 35% from three, but he took, you know, a half a three a game. Um, that was a really limiting factor on on uh, his play as the year went on. As he played more, the scout on him kind of got out, and I think that limited uh, a little bit of what he was capable of. Um, only shot 69, 68.5% from the line. Um I that like that. So the shooting will have to improve for him to like truly make it as a as a backup NBA point guard. But I think he's definitely got that potential, and I w- I feel comfortable betting on Saban uh, in the short term. Um, he's more efficient than Killian Hayes. Uh, I think I think by assist percentage he had a higher assist percentage than Killian Hayes, which was surprising. Showed good chemistry with Killian Hayes down the stretch of the season as they played two point guards in those two point guard lineups, Dwayne Casey loves. Um, and so I definitely think Saban, even as a two way guy has, has a future on this team. Uh, I'd give Saban a B minus. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, Ben last, but not least Dennis Smith jr. Yeah. Dennis Smith jr. I think had a chance to salvage his career in Detroit and I'm not sure he's going to have persuaded anyone. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, he had some nice moments early, but I think kind of leveled out into he is kind of what he is, unfortunately. And, and I don't think that's going to that's going to cut it. So uh, I don't think he's going to be around for the Pistons next season. Uh, and I think odds are uh, he might find himself um, out of the NBA, unfortunately, for, for Dennis Smith Jr. He gets failing grade for me. Um, I'm going to unfortunately have to give him a D. Hmm. Okay. I lean towards Dennis, giving Dennis Smith Jr. an incomplete. Uh, he played 20 games, started nine of them, 
uh, averaged 7.3 points, uh, 3.7 assists, and 3 rebounds, give or take. Uh, shot 35% from 3 on low volume, but higher volume than, like, say, Saban Lee, right? He shot 2.73s a game. Um, was much more impactful as a defender than he had been in earlier stops. I think that was, that was a good sign. Um, and right when I think he was, I think there, there were minutes for him to take as the season came to a close, right? There was, uh, you know, an opportunity for him to play a lot of those Corey Joseph minutes, but because of injury, we did not get to see that. I was intrigued with what I saw from Dennis Smith Jr. I, he was not amazing, but I think he showed enough to to stay in the NBA. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I mean the the pedigree, right? The the lottery pickness of him, the athleticism is not his athleticism is clearly lessened, right? He's not the the athlete he once was, and the injuries are now officially a concern. Um, he's been, I think, injured at the end of the season for the last three years. That's not great. But when he was on the floor, um, I did not feel like the Pistons were in terrible hands. And so I'm going to give Dennis Smith Jr. a C-. minus. Uh, I, I don't think he stays around in Detroit, just purely as a salary cap function. He's, his, quali- his qualifying offer is like somewhere in the neighborhood of like $10 million. $10 million is way too much to pay him. Um but do I think Dennis Smith Jr. is an NBA point guard somewhere? I do. I do. And so do you I see I, him as third or second. I, th- I see him as a, th- uh, a third guard. Um, someone who really changes the pace of the game uh, with his with his speed. Um, and if he continues to be uh, as impactful on defense, especially uh, as he was like in his short stint um, in Detroit initially. Like that guy, there's definitely a role for that guy. Chris Dunn is still in the league. Dennis Smith Jr. Fair Dunn, enough. Fair enough. Maybe playing. I'm maybe I'm just too harsh. No, no, no. I'm you. You have your evaluation, right? Like I can't, I can't take that away from you. All right, Ben. It's been an hour. Do you want to talk about the playoffs, or are we good? <laughs> I think we're good, my friend. It's All been right. fun. Like I will. So here's the one comment I'll make. Um, I was deciding on who to be pulling for. And after watching Dallas in game one, I am officially on that Dallas bandwagon. There's the U of M connections. There's the coaching connection. And then there's Luca who's just transcendent. So like I'm pulling for them to, to make some noise and have a a first round upset. All right. I'm glad Luca can fill the Steph Curry shaped hole. in your heart. Yeah. I don't, I I still think the plan is stupid. I don't, I don't like it, but (laughs) It sounds like it's some version of it is around to stay, so I guess yeah, I just have I, to deal with it. I think it accomplished its goal. Uh, the goal would have been better accomplished if Steph Curry was in the playoffs, but I think it it made for some exciting uh, glue between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the postseason, and that's what it's there for. So, okay, all right, Ben, uh, it's a good season, man. Thanks for thanks for you know putting up with me this whole year. <laughs> It was a fun season. Um, it was, as I've talked about before, largely in part to interaction with the Pistons community, whether that's you know on Twitter during games, whether that's the Detroit Bad Boys community, uh, and then in particular talking and recapping things uh, with you each week. I, I value your perspective. It is often different from mine and just in, in ways that enrich my understanding and enjoyment of the game. So uh, I, I have really appreciated our weekly podcasts and conversations. They they are certainly a highlight of my week each week. Me too, Ben. I I enjoy your uh, season perspective on the game. Your your uh, your ability to kind of pull on what uh, you experienced as a player at times on a very you know small scale. But I still think that offers a nice insight uh, into what some of these guys are thinking some of the time. And. Uh, I need I need that dad life. I need that dad experience. <laughs> it's true. So it's on it's, its way. It's good. It's good to keep you around. Yeah. Uh, let the people know uh, where they can keep up with you uh, as we head into the off season. At Br Golker on Twitter, dad life photos make it there occasionally. Also on on Instagram, if you can find me. But look, man, I'm going to be loving that playoff life. I keep saying it, but I I just love the playoffs. Best basketball in the world. Let's enjoy it together. Let us do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at 
L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. As for scheduling, I'm going to Hawaii on Wednesday. And so, you, and so you are not getting a podcast from me on Sunday. <laughs> you really wanted to watch those West Coast playoff games, huh? <laughs> yeah, they'll be in the, like the mid-afternoon. <laughs> You'll be sitting on the beach. I like it. I think I think the wife will get mad if I try and catch like an East Coast uh, playoff game at noonish, and on our uh, on our baby moon. Some mimosas, you know. <laughs> um. So yeah, schedule to be determined. Uh, I'll try and figure out something fairly consistent. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get to you guys when we get to you guys. But we're not going anywhere. I promise. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys later. Again, later, no schedule. See ya.